Hey, good morning, Kettlebrook. It's good to be here with you all. Good to see you. I have uh, just returned uh, from a ministry trip to India, which is why I'm so fat right now. (laughs) Indian food is the best food in the entire world. And I was in Chennai, India. National Geographic ranks Chennai, India as the second best place in the world to eat. Okay, and I, I took I took full advantage of it <laughs> while I was there. It's also why I have a cold because I uh, I uh, caught something in the petri dish on the way home, which is the uh, uh, airplane uh, canister there, <laughs> just, just a breeding ground for all sorts of germs and stuff like that. But I'm glad I can talk. Um, how many of you have heard of the phrase uh, a game changer? You've heard that phrase, right? It's a game changer. It's a, what what is a game changer? It's it, it, Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines game changer as when an element is added to a situation that significantly changes or alters uh, the experience. It says this. It says it's a newly introduced element or factor that changes an existing situation or activity in a significant way. Okay, that's game changer. Game changers. When Apple introduced the, the iPod, you know, that, that was a game changer for the music industry. It revolutionized the ways, the way we consume and utilize uh, our music, right? Who buys CDs anymore, right? That's like so 010, right? Yeah, vinyl is, is retro, but, you know, CDs are like, you know, that's a game changer. This guy is a game changer. Who is that? Giannis, that's right. Anyone, can anyone pronounce his last name at all? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Giannis is a total game changer for the Milwaukee Bucks. Became the youngest, uh, youngest Buck to ever, uh, have a, uh, a, a triple double, which is, you know, double points in three out of the five categories of, of stats there. Uh, this year, on February 15th, he scored his first triple double, which made him the, that made his overall ninth triple double, and he is now the overall leading that surpasses Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the leading triple double for the Milwaukee Bucks. Last year, last season, he led in every single statistical category for the Milwaukee Bucks in in points, rebounds, blocks, and all all five of them. That's a game changer. That's a game changer. Laws can be game changers as well. In 1978, Jimmy Carter signed into law the Home Brewing Act of 1978, all right? And, and that, all of a sudden, overnight, it made it possible for dudes to brew beer in their own homes the way it was meant to be brewed, like they do in Germany and Belgium, and it freed us from the tyranny of Bud Light, Miller Light, and Coors Light, okay? So you're like, amen, you know? And, and it opened up this whole plethora of all all the microbrews and brew pubs that we have all over the country today are all a result of Jimmy Carter signing into law, that one law. I'm not saying it's, it's right or wrong or good or bad. I'm just saying it's a game changer, all right? I just made Jimmy Carter one of you guys' favorite presidents, you know? So, you know, so, uh, you know game changers. And the Old Testament, the Old Testament is full of game changers, right? You have a nation of slaves, that go from living in captivity to the next moment, they are the redeemed, adopted people of God. You have uh, a, a situation 
where, where the entire Israel army is cowering and, and defenseless and, and hopeless against this giant, and a 12-year-old boy steps up and slays the giant and eventually become king and unite the 12 tribes under one head. It's a game changer, game changer. You have a situation where the entire Jewish race is threatened with extinction, and Queen Esther steps up to the plate as a young Jewish queen on behalf of her people and saves the Jewish people from complete extinction. These are all game changers, and life is full of game changers. In the New Testament, one of the biggest game changers that you'll ever experience, one of the most profound game changers for the Christian life is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to talk about today. You'll remember maybe from John chapter 14, John chapter 16, Jesus promises right before he's going to the cross, he promises the Holy Spirit to his disciples. He says it's actually good that I'm going away now because unless I go away, ultimately going to the cross, I will not be able to send the Holy Spirit to you, okay? And when the Holy Spirit comes, He's going to remind you of everything that I talked to you about and, and, and told you, taught to you while I was here on earth. He's going to convict the world of sin, and, and I myself am going to live and indwell in you, okay? He was going to be in a very real way, the Holy Spirit was going to be a very real way, the presence of Jesus living and indwelling amongst us. And all this is extremely important to understand because where we pick up in the book of Romans today is where Stuart Briscoe essentially left off two weeks ago at the end of Romans chapter 7. If you want to turn your Bibles uh, there, you'll find that on page 785 in the story of God God Bibles. The second half of of the Romans chapter 7 explains in graphic detail the struggle that the, the, the believer, the follower of Jesus Christ, has in regard to the law. The law, as Stuart explained, was the moral law of the God, summarized in the Ten Commandments. It reflects God's character, reflects His goodness, His, his, his essence. And, and we, as followers of Jesus, understand that it is good and it is right and it is proper. But we have this struggle inside of us. We find that, that even though we agree that the law is good and right and, and proper, we can't seem to get around to actually doing some of the things that are in it. The things that we, we do want to do, we don't do. And the things that we don't want to do, we do do, right? Has, uh, you can read the second half of Romans chapter 7. And all of us at some point in the other will resonate with what Paul is explaining there. And Paul, at the very end, there, there it is right there. We know that law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is no longer I myself who is doing, but sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Has anyone ever been there before? <laughs> From time to time? Yeah. And Paul gets to the, the very end of this thing, and he kind of cries out in despair. And he says, he says at the very end of Romans chapter 7, What a wretched man that I am! Who will rescue me? Who is going to rescue me from this, from this body of death? And in essence, asking the question, 
Who's going to rescue me out of this endless cycle of continually failing to keep the law of God? And, and what Paul needs more than anything else here is a game changer, right? Paul needs a game changer. Enter Romans chapter 8, which we get into. And the game changer that he needs is nothing less than the Spirit of God. He begins by reminding himself, reminding all of us, his stance, his standing before God. He says in chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. The first thing that Paul does is break out of this despairing cycle. He reminds himself the truth of his standing before God. He just got done saying at the beginning of chapter 5, uh, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now he essentially says that same thing here in verse 1 of chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is our legal standing before God right now. He's taking this terminology basically out of a courtroom, a court case, and he's saying that this applies to us in the kind of the celestial heavenly realm of God's courtroom where God and God alone is judge. And he is, we are now no longer under condemnation. We are not guilty. We are declared not guilty. This is what Paul has been explaining all through Romans chapter 1 through, uh, through chapter 6. He's, the term that he uses is this term justification or that we are justified before God. The good way to, it means that we are declared not guilty. A good way to remember the word justified is that God looks at us just as if I'd never sinned. We're justified in the God's eyes. And the way that we become justified is, is how, do, how do we get to be? He says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We go from being under condemnation to being in Christ Jesus and declared right and, and justified by God. And the question you might be asking yourself is how does someone go from being under condemnation to being in Christ? And what Paul has explained, taken great pains to explain thus far, is this all happens through faith in Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 3, and we'll put this up there on the screen, he says, but now a righteousness from God apart from law, apart from trying to keep the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through what? Faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference for all of sin and fall short of the glory in God and are justified or made right freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So when a person believes and places their faith in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, understanding and relying on the fact that this was God's singular event where he, where he reconciled us to himself and he resolved our sin problem, we are placed from being under condemnation because of our sin to being in Christ. And this happens at the point of belief. He reiterates this again in, in Romans chapter 5, the verse I just referred to. Therefore, since we have been justified or made right through what? Faith. We're through faith. Believing in Jesus. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through whom we have been gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Which begs the question for each of us here today. Has there ever been a point in time in all of our lives or in your lives individually where you have placed your full faith and confidence in Jesus Christ, basically looking at the cross and saying, that was for me. That was where God took my sins and placed them on Jesus. And I, and Jesus essentially is dying in my place. If you do that and you believe that that was God's singular place event where he took care of our sin problem, we are placed from being under condemnation to being in Christ. And there is no longer any condemnation against us. This is essentially what Paul reiterates and goes on to explain in verses 3 and 4. He says, For what the law was powerless to do, and that was weakened by the sinful nature, again, we can't keep the commands of the law by ourselves. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man, He was fully human, to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful man in the cross on Jesus Christ in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Okay? Might be fully met in us. So that basically what happens is when we go to the cross, we give Jesus all of our junk, all of our garbage, all of our filthy rags, and God then gives to us Jesus' righteousness. Again, Jesus never sinned when he was a human, when he was a man on earth, and we get all of his right living. How is that for a fair act, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's a game changer right there. And, and, and at that point in time, God takes us from being under condemnation to being in Christ. And then he says, for those who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. And for this next section, verses 5 to 8, Paul begins to kind of, um, kind of compare and contrast two different uh, types of people that in verses uh, that he talks about in in, in verses five through eight, um, two different completely kinds of people. He Paul Paul d- draws a sharp distinction here um, because between those uh, that are described in verse one as those being under condemnation to those being in Christ. Here he's saying he's saying that those who live according to the sinful nature. And those who live according to the Spirit. Verse 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. If you are still under condemnation, you have not yet been justified. You have not been declared not guilty. And you have not been set free from this law of sin and death. You are still living in accord with your sinful nature. Now, you may ask yourself, what is the sinful nature? Well, in the Greek, the word sinful nature actually doesn't appear. It's the Greek word sarx, which is the word flesh or the flesh. Okay, and so if you read these verses, I don't know if that clears anything up for anybody. (laughs) You're like, flesh, sinful nature, what is it? It is this part of us, this, this physical part of us, that is part and parcel of this fallen world, okay? When this world fell into sin, we were born into this world of sin, and our bodies still bear the marks of being part 
of this fallen system. Okay, that's what he's saying. Our flesh, it's our bodies. There, we still have this part of us that is in rebellion against God and against what God wants. And as long as we live in this body, we're still going to have this part of us that is broken, that is fallen. Until we die and we're separated from this body, we're still going to have this part of us that by its very nature is in rebellion against God and his laws. That's why the NIV kind of translates this or paraphrases this as sinful nature. It's this part of us that is still part of this sinful, you know, broken world. And so when you read this section, verses 5 through 8, in, in the ESV, it says this. There's a, it uses the word flesh. This is an ESV, which is a more literal translation. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For the mind of the flesh is death. But to, the, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay? This is the sinful mind or the mind that is set on the flesh. It results in death. It is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law or can it even do so. And it cannot please God whatsoever. Okay? That's just the flesh. That's our sinful bodies apart from the indwelling spirit of God. It's kind of like this flashlight right here. Okay? This flashlight was designed to do what? To shine light, give light, right? But without any batteries inside of it, it is just a useless hunk of metal. It's like a paperweight, you know? This is a really cool flashlight. It's like aluminum grade alloy steel, you know, it's got this clip, it's got different settings on it, stuff like that. But without any batteries inside of it, it cannot do what it was designed to do. It's just metal it's the flesh it's kind of like a human being without the indwelling spirit of god we cannot do what we are designed to do paul just got done saying that those who are controlled by the flesh cannot please god and for someone who is still under condemnation who is not indwelled by the spirit of god they're kind of like this battery or this 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 flashlight they cannot do the, the one thing that they were designed to do because they don't have the power source inside of them. And so what we need when we're in that situation is a game changer. Okay, and that's where we get into verse 9. He says, you, however, are controlled not by the spirit, but not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. If the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong tonight to Christ. He's Basically saying, he says, you, these believers in, in the city of Rome, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, not just by the flesh, but by the spirit, if the spirit lives in you. This is a game changer. When a person places their faith in Jesus Christ, they not only are justified, they not only are declared not guilty, they not, they not go from being under condemnation to being in Christ but they are free from this law of sin and death, and they're also indwelt by the Holy Spirit, okay? All of this happens at the point of faith and belief. In Ephesians 1.13, make, Paul makes this very clear. He says, And you 
also were included in Christ. There's that phrase again, in Christ. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, okay, when you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So a person receives the Holy Spirit into their life, indwelling in their life. God comes to live inside them at the point of faith in Jesus Christ, at the point of belief. He says, having believed, you are marked in him with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. And then Paul makes this amazing statement here. He says, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Paul is giving us the most basic, fundamental definition of what it means to be a believer or what it means to be a Christian. We don't use that word Christian too much around here at Kettlebrook because Christian means everything to everyone, right? You know, I'm an American. Of course, I'm a Christian. You know, what do you think? I was a Muslim. You know, it's like, you know, so Christian means everything. to everyone. We talk about being a follower of Christ. The Bible uses the, 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 the term, you know, a, a, a disciple or a follower of Jesus being born again. Whatever term you use, Paul is saying that the basic definition of a person who belongs to God, who's, who, who is born again, is a person who has the spirit of Christ living inside of him. Let me read that again. He says, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. There's no... 50% or halfway or iffiness about being a Christian. You're either, it's just like you're either born or you're not born. You're either born again or you're not born again. You're either under condemnation or you are in Christ. You either have all of your sins forgiven by God in Christ or you have, or you have none of your sins forgiven by, by God. There's no like 50% in, in this whole thing, okay? Well, it may be true that we're on a journey and some of us are in a, in a process of understanding who Jesus is. But there's this point in time. There's a point in time when we place our faith in Christ. And when we do that, God does everything all at once. He places us from under condemnation to being in Christ. He goes from none of our sins being forgiven to all of them being forgiven. And the Holy Spirit then comes to powerfully and miraculously dwell inside of us. And when he does that, all things become possible. Everything becomes possible at that point. Paul goes on to talk about the fact that it's by the Spirit that we begin to put to death the misdeeds of the body. It's by the Spirit that we begin to, to manifest the fruits of the Spirit, the, the evidence of living in the kingdom of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's like when God, someone bows the knee to King Jesus... He forgives them for all of their sins. He brings them, you know, from under condemnation to being in Christ. And Jesus himself comes to live inside of them. And all of a sudden, this thing can do what it was meant to do. Right? Shine it all in your faces here. It's a bright light, you know. It's a nice flashlight, yeah. But it only works when it's got batteries in it. And we can only be the people and live the life that God intended us to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, there is no way you can live the life that God wants you to live. It's a total game changer. It's like a flashlight without batteries, a flashlight being with batteries. A person without the Holy Spirit is just someone living in the flesh. They cannot please God. But someone who has the Holy Spirit and living... Inside of them, the Holy Spirit empowers them to live a life pleasing 
to God. This is driven home to me when uh, just a few months ago when I was trying to work out and do some of the aerobic things that I love to do, like run. And, and I was, saw my times going up and up and up and getting slower and slower and slower. And finally, I'd be going running with my wife. And she's like, you know, uh, I think you better run just by yourself from now on. You're like, I can walk faster than you. You know, <laughs> I'm like, thanks, honey. I'm feeling the love, you know, and uh, and then I go biking with some of my friends. We go mountain biking. We get to the top of this hill and I'd be like, <laughs> I'm like, guys, like, just wait, just wait. You know, like, let me catch my breath. And then like five minutes later, they're like, come on, Moran, like we're ready to go. I'm like, OK, <laughs> I think I can I think I can go. And I'm like, what is is this like life after 50? I'm like, what, what is this? You know, going to a couple weeks later. I went to the uh, I went to the blood center to give blood like I do every about eight weeks. And when they took my blood to see, you know, if I was okay, they said, you can't give blood. I'm like, well, why not? And they're like, well, your hemoglobin is way too low. I'm like, well, what does that mean? It's like, that's your red blood cells. They carry oxygen to your body. Without your red blood cells, without hemoglobin, you, you're going to get winded when you do aerobic activity. You've been winded? I'm like, huh, are you kidding me? Yeah, I can't climb up to the second flight of stairs at the library without having to stop for a breath. And they're like, yeah, you're probably anemic. And so we had to go through the whole thing about figuring out why that was, and we did. But I was trying to do all these things that I like to do without any hemoglobin inside of me. And living the Christian life, the life that God intends us to live, without the Holy Spirit is like trying to run a marathon without any red blood cells, without any hemoglobin. You're just going to get exhausted, you're going to get frustrated, and you know what, you're going to give up. And there's a lot of people trying to live the Christian life on their own power and they're getting exhausted and getting frustrated and they want to give up. And God is saying, let me come inside of you, into you, and take control of your life and empower you by the Holy Spirit, by my Spirit living inside of you, to live the life that I was designed to live. Because when God's Spirit does that and we give control over to him and we get to allow him to empower us all things change it's a complete game changer one of my good friends from our time in russia is a young man named peter edding peter uh grew up in a town named nizhny uh angarsk in the north end of lake baikal it's a old industrial town it's now defunct and he grew up never knowing his father his father walked out on him Never, never knew who he was, never met him. And, um, and it, because his mom was a working mom, he grew up on the streets with his friends getting into trouble. Um, by the time he became university age, he moved to Irkutsk, the big city where we lived, and uh, went to school there and, and got involved in all the normal stuff that, that kids without Jesus in their lives get involved in, partying, drinking alcohol and all that stuff. Until a friend invited him to come and check out a Christian student meeting. And he came and he observed and he saw these Christians and he was kind of curious and he just kind of kept coming on and off to the meetings for about a year. And, uh, and then eventually, you know, one of my friends, his name is Spencer Nichols, went and visited Pecha while he was at work. He worked as, an, as a night guard at an elementary school. So when you work as a night watchman, you have a lot of time. And so Spencer just kind of walked the rounds with them and they talked and they t- he asked them about Jesus and where he was with Christ and began to able to answer some of Pecha's questions that he had. And by the end of the night, Pecha bowed the knee to Jesus and invited Jesus to come into his life, forgive him of all his sins. And you know what? 
Jesus did. <laughs> he moved Peche from being under condemnation to being in Christ. And Peche went from being a flashlight without any batteries to having batteries. And everything became possible. It was a complete game changer for Peche. Peche, realizing kind of intuitively the brokenness of his background, just kind of parked in the parking lot of repentance for a long time and just learned these new routines, these new habits, and gave more and more of, of his life control over to Jesus Christ. And eventually, you know, he became a leader in our church. I remember teaching Pecha how to preach a sermon and working with him. He's just a great young guy. And eventually I got a chance to marry him and his wife, Angela, about 12 years ago down in Oklahoma. He met Angela, another American missionary, and now together they serve uh, with Campus Crusader crew um, in St. Petersburg. But the thing that was the game changer for Petra was the Holy Spirit coming into his life. Before that, there's no hope, no possibility, no possibility of him ever living a life that's pleasing to God. Now, he is a leader amongst men, you know, and, he, and I think of the fact that the town where he grew up doesn't even exist anymore. It's totally decrepit, decayed, and that's where Peche was going. But now he's got a family, he's a father, he's a loving father, and he's influencing people for Christ. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a complete and utter game changer. I'm wondering if there's anyone here today who may be trying to live the Christian life under your own strength, under your own power, just gritting your own teeth, and you're getting exhausted and you're getting frustrated, and you're ready to give up. Paul says to us in Romans, maybe you're ready for a game changer. Maybe you're ready to give control of your life over to the empowering presence of Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I need you to take control of this area of my life that I might live a life that's pleasing to you. In a few moments, we're going to take uh, communion together. And if you have never, ever in your life, ever bowed the knee to King Jesus in your life and invited him into your life and to fill your life and empower you by his spirit, I can't think of a better time to do that than today. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8. I pray that... Um, you, by your Spirit, would <coughs> impress upon us what we need to hear through these verses. I pray that everyone here would go away knowing that the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is the biggest game changer that there ever was. We cannot live a life that's pleasing to you without the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. It just cannot be done. If there's anyone here who's tired, who's exhausted, who's frustrated, Father, I pray that this morning that they would be able to essentially give the control of their life over to you. Say, Jesus, I need you to control this area of my life. And that you would do that. And you would begin to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. We pray this, that Jesus might be glorified in us and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.